Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Tennis with an Accent. This is Sakib. Uh, I'll be interviewing Johan Creek and then uh, dialing in uh, uh, my co-host Anand who is working late tonight. But uh, the topic is uh, Roger Federer's uh, withdrawal from the French Open and how the field looks and uh, some other topics on the ATP. <laughs> Do you expect the Federer decision the way it went today? To pull out of the French? Uh, yes. Yeah, now I, I had a feeling there was 80% chance he was not going to play. He was just sort of waiting to see what is happening with the tournaments leading up to it. And obviously Rafa is on a serious tear right now. So I think uh, if he had played, I knew that if he does well in the French, he's completely cooked for Wimbledon. I don't think he could win it. Just because it's just so taxing on him, and uh, I think he's he's on a high. He wants to stay out there, and I think probably uh, this could be his last year. I don't know. I think he's going to play uh, Wimbledon if he does well and he wins it. He will probably definitely shoot for the U.S. Open, but who knows after that? So since you're a former player, I mean, he decided to skip the entire uh, clay season and uh, was still debating playing French Open till today. So do you think even at this stage in his career, had he played and, say, made the semis, that would have taken a lot out of him going into Wimbledon? Totally. Because he's been, totally. he's, he's 36 years old. I mean, I don't care what they say. Your your body is taking that. I mean, first of all, when he plays, he plays almost every match that's available. He's been in the finals and winning tournaments every week he plays. So he plays four, five, six matches every every time he plays. So uh, it's it's hard, and uh, at 36 years of age, even though he's in unbelievable shape, it just it's it takes so much to stay there, and, and he needs to be confident. And I think he wants to keep that confidence going to Wimbledon. It's uh, it's pretty much uh, his best surface. I don't think that the, the clay would have would have uh, would have helped him. Okay. And now with Nadal on such a tear, uh, do you see anyone standing up to him at French Open? Uh... No, but what a story this year for these two guys. I mean, you've got Federer taking over the first part of the year, and then the claim season comes, and uh, you know Nadal is taking over. So it's yeah. kind of interesting. It's kind of a, it's a great year for these two former greats. It's kind of like a tennis tennis version of Back to the Future. <laughs> what do you think of the Djokovic situation? Do you think he's looking for a new coach? Uh, who do you think uh, uh, who do you think gets the assignment? And uh, when do you think? Uh, the resurrection starts, uh, if it does start at all. Your guess is as good as mine. I, I don't have a read on that one at all. I'm totally surprised that, you know, Marion Vida and the whole gang was fired. I mean, I think that was probably ill-advised at this point. Maybe keep Vida on and bring some other people on. But look, I mean, it's 10 years with the tennis pro that, of that level is a lifetime. Yeah. and. Uh, you know, Vida's a good, you know, I, I know him, but uh, yeah. he played a little bit when I played. So I had a bit of a talk with him at the O2 Arena last year. And, you know, these guys have traveled a long, hard road with him. And maybe it is okay to, to fire the whole team. Maybe he would just sort of coast through the next couple of tournaments. And uh, who knows, maybe by the French, he found somebody. And I just think in to do that midstream of the year, not not a good thing, not a good sign. Maybe the decision's already made. He just wanted some space and then bring on the person. Who knows how this thing works? Who knows how these guys think? But, you know, it's a bit chaotic, it seems. 
since you know why i've i've always uh, you know wondered uh, i know like this is an era of super coaches and boris becker ivan lendl and edberg everybody you know has been associated michael chang ivan isevich but do you think uh, what is harder like varda has been there for djokovic for all 12 of his uh, major wins and then when boris becker came he gets the credit for like uh, six of the 12 wins so where do you draw a line i mean uh, what's more important if there is one thing that's more important between a coach and a super coach uh i i the people can claim what they claim at the end of the day it's the player that hits the ball hmm. uh so you know i take it i take it with a grain of salt but look i mean pr is pr and you know that's what it is and uh, i think at the same time i have to give a little bit of credit that you know obviously if 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 um, bringing a super coach so to speak on board uh, may make the other make the player feel more invincible perhaps uh mm-hmm. you know at that level one or two percent feeling better than the other guy could maybe make a difference of winning a grand slam tournament you never know uh mm-hmm. what will happen but uh look these guys make so much money they can bring in 10 super coaches it doesn't matter what is the number one race folding you think it's between Roger and Rafa or you think we'll have a say uh from I think someone so. else No no I think I think if 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 Rafan wins the French and then he wins maybe Madrid and and uh I mean he won Madrid but if he wins Rome and he wins the French I mean that's a serious race for number one Dominic Thiem and Goffin some of the young guys they look good but not good enough in the clay season how do you see their potential shaping up for a major win maybe in the future Yeah I mean I think they're going to have to take over I mean Kyrgios is there and uh, he's said Kyrgios he could play incredible in the summer or just fizzle out here and there he, he's such a loose cannon who knows he needs to stabilize his head before he can really make a move but he's a supremely talented guy Dominic Thiem is incredibly good the Zverev brothers are there uh guy you know uh, Taylor Fritz is coming on there's a couple of young guns that are they're playing pretty well so we'll see how the, the summer goes uh, with the French mm-hmm. and now with Rome and then the French and then we'll see how it rebounds to uh, Wimbledon with the queens and then see if uh, any of these young guys can push forward. Okay, and is this the uh, since you're a former champion yourself, is this the toughest stretch in tennis year from switching from the slow clay to the green lawns of uh, Wimbledon? It's a, it's a very tough switch. I I I think it's not so easy, but it makes it even more remarkable when Borg won uh, six French and then won five Wimbledon right at the same time that he won all those French tournaments. So I mean that's that's an that's unreal feat first of all to go from slow clay to and even back then the the grass was much faster than it is now. Mm. And with wooden wooden rackets. That's true. That shows you how good this guy was. Yeah. Hi, Johan. So we'll probably you know reach out to you again. Thanks for doing this on such a short sure. notice. Always appreciate it. No problem. All right. Have a good night. Thanks. Have a good Bye-bye. night, man. Take care. Bye bye. So, uh, Alan, uh, I'm sure uh, you have an opinion on the big happening of uh, the big news of the day. Federer uh, deciding to skip Roland Garros second year in a row. This year, obviously, reasons are different. Uh, how do you see this uh, development? The funny thing is, I saw this coming even as he closed out the Miami Open. Uh, I actually did not think he should be playing the clay court season. Um, mm-hmm. And I was more convinced by this whole thing because of what happened with the Australian Open. He took that break, came back at the right time, played enough warm-up matches, 
got into the groove and and there he was he was the best player on um, in that tournament and mm-hmm. for him to go through that he I felt like he created a model of success that he could repeat and we all knew that it was not going to happen at the French Open um i was just surprised that he took so long to realize that uh, maybe there was an awakening when he thought Rafa uh, played the way he's been playing so uh, he probably thought this is a level i can't keep up with uh, so i think he made the right choice Very interesting you say that because i'm also of the opinion with a slight different twist uh i think uh, when the schedule came out for the beginning of the year what fedders going to play it was always like he might play a very limited or cut down play schedule and even if you remember when stefan edward was parting ways and uh, everybody was heartbroken after that uh, jokovic loss at the us open 2015 final edward said federer can still contend at a very high level as a contender at major and of course his best chance at wimbledon and us open and maybe uh australian open so all fed fans and i think everyone in the fed nation i think including myself and yourself and the people believe french open was a long shot so i'm going to just like uh, give my detailed opinion because uh, a lot of people might think what i'm about to say is uh, about federer being weak i don't think that's the case i think he didn't envision the start when he said you know uh, he was happy to be just playing one final but he won the sunshine double and australian open so he was kind of ahead in his comeback and everybody you know was uh, already start talking about uh, year and number 1 and you know potential another slam so i think federer is someone who's a visionary not just because of you know the kind of tennis he plays i think the reason he is such a contender at this late in his career is because he's always taken the right steps that being said uh, his chief nemesis you know over the years has been rafa nadal and this year with the new racket and the new mindset and the new attacking game not only he nullified nadal but for the most part he's neutralized him so my take is french open is a major he probably wanted to play but uh, i think even in his head if he thought djokovic and murray are not going to be factors and if nadal is someone who's not as good as he used to be i think he debated playing french but the moment i think uh, and i'm not saying nadal is the only reason i think his uh, other overall preparation and mindset probably into factor but i agree with you that uh, nadal uh being uh, a strong contender had some part to do with uh, federer's decision because if you remember like few weeks ago he spoke to tennis channel and he was very candid and he said uh, he wants to play uh, the french open not because he wants to make his fan base or friends of everyone happy he wants to do something very special there so i think he probably even debated that you know if someone is to take nadal out and i believe so if he entered i know you don't think so but i think if he was in a draw and someone say like a sodaling act was pulled again i think federer had as good a chance as anyone to go all the way what do you think so so let's go back to uh, 10 years when roger was dominating the sport um clearly the best player on the planet except on clay where he often ran into rafael nadal and he could not for some reason break that court and it started having an impact on his rival against nadal on all other surfaces um he just became a less and less confident player over time um not just against rafa I, i i almost started to think his lack of success against rafa had a role to play in sometimes maybe i would say his lack of success against djokovic even uh, in later his career uh, because once he got into that funk against a player um maybe there was a residual effect of uh, him not you know not being able to come back against that player no but you think uh, you think that would have had any impact suppose now i know the ship has sailed so, but if he was so my, playing role in my thinking uh, is that clearly he was the best player at the australian open 
and he was working his way back to the top. Uh, so Djokovic and Murray are on the decline. And now Federer runs into a red-hot Rafa at the French Open. That's, that's, that's just revisiting the past in some ways. That's recreating the situation where he starts to lose to Rafa on clay, and somehow it kind of, uh, you know, it, it kind of spills over to the other court. Now, I'm not saying Roger did not play the French Open because he's scared of playing Rafa. I think he genuinely did not see himself competing, um, not just against Rafa, but against many of the other top clay court players. This has been the tournament where he has underperformed over the last five years. Um, he's, he's just not, he's not losing to a lot. Yeah. No, to- totally with you. Federer doesn't get enough credit as being mentally strong. All these years, he kept going at Nadal on, you know, clay and, you know, he never shied away. So I'm not even insinuating for even a second that Federer is scared. No, 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 not at all. I think it's all about, like Paul Anacon, as some people would say, Federer is a master of, you know, making right decisions. It's about choices. You know, yeah, he's, was, he's maximizing. He's maximizing yeah, exactly. chances. I think French was never in the picture, but then the way he started beating Nadal, and then the way Djokovic was, so, and obviously, as due respect to Murray, I think Murray at his peak and Federer at his best on play, I think Federer is a better player. So I think it was just those two variables, which kind of, I think he debated the idea of going to France and, you know, like, not just playing a supporting role. He probably wanted to go all the way. And that's why I think a lot of people, you know, are thinking, and some people are getting offended thinking, that uh, Fred is afraid or Fred is not afraid of Nadal. Believe me, he's just master of making these choices. Oh, and I, I think he enjoys these matches. He enjoys these matches. So there's a couple of things. One is I think we should give respect to a guy who's got so many miles on his body. When he says he's listening to his body, he wants to take rest and he wants to play where he thinks he's going to play strongest. We give him that respect. And the second thing I really think is he has reinvented his game to be more attacking, to, to play the kind of one-two kind of tennis, which has got him some really awesome results in the first half of the year. That's exactly the kind of tennis that may not work against the, uh, even a player like Rafa or even some of the other play grinders. And so you put, he puts himself up against these guys with a brand of tennis which has worked spectacularly well for him on other courts. I just don't see why he needs to do that. Um, he's, he's earned enough, I think, in his career in terms of, uh, you know, slam titles and reputation, everything else. He doesn't need to put himself out there for, for the French Open. Um, okay, that's why I, I slightly disagree because I still think French Open is a major and I think Federer, like uh, a lot of people are saying, has played enough. Uh, he actually grew up on play. So he could have still gone and, you know, made you know a decent run and if the draw opened up, I still like him more than what I'm seeing of Djokovic and Murray and Wawrinka. And uh, look, if Federer, ha- somebody takes Nadal out, for example, and if Federer had to go through Goffin and uh, team, I-, I like his chances to, to, you know, to go all the way. But again, uh, let's uh, shift focus to something that's going to happen. So how do you uh-huh. think uh, is the world number one race? I know we are almost halfway there. Looks like Nadal, if he wins Rome and if he wins Paris, he's going to have a huge lead. But then Federer can pull it back by having a decent Wimbledon and the grass court season. Even if he doesn't win it, he can, you know, you know, be in contention. So you think number one is something that he's considering at this stage or he's just going, you know, slam by slam at this point? I, I will believe Roger when he says that he's not thinking about number one right now. But, but it is something I think that will come right uh, in front of his mind towards the end of the season. I mean, these are two guys who don't have a whole lot of points to defend. And I I can see how Roger's going to have a stronger second half than Rafa, despite Rafa winning the French Open. So it's, it's, it's beautiful to watch. I mean, suddenly we're talking of Roger and Rafa as being the two guys who are 
probably going to end one and two at the end of the year. Um, mm. But I still think, though, um, that we can't count um, Djokovic and Andy Murray out. Uh, uh, I believe that they're going to play a lot more tournaments, and it might just the year might just turn and you know turn around for one of those two at least. Roger, I don't think is going to play enough uh, to be in the conversation for number one unless he wins another major, which is not impossible. But if he doesn't win that major, I don't see him being in the conversation. Rafa, on the other hand, he's going to rack up points simply by the dint of showing up. And I think he plans to show up everywhere uh, based on how he's playing right now. Uh, he might run out by the end of the uh, hardcore season, though. I think Murray is uh, going to be the hardest time uh, to be in the conversation because he has a heap of points def- uh, to defend from Wimbledon. He just has like an off-US Open win, then he won everything in the fall to snatch to snag that ranking from Djokovic. But I think it's Nadal and Federer, to, to me, who are in the mix. And if Djokovic comes back to life, say he wins Wimbledon or he does a Wimbledon final, and then, you know, he, he could be in the contention. But I think it's a three-man race. Uh, so, yeah, you wrote a pretty decent article about uh, the state of mind of current affairs of Novak Djokovic. So, But you didn't give away what your take is, who might be the super coach, because he's clearly signaling it's going to be a super coach, not a coach. So, are you buying the Agassi hype? I am not buying the Agassi hype because of two reasons. One, um, I don't think Agassi wants to do it. Agassi is running a foundation. He's actually said in an interview that, you know, it's not something he's deeply interested in. His own son, uh, Jaden, is, is playing baseball right now. And he's, um, he, I think Agassi is Agassi focused on being a super dad and not a super coach. Um, but on the other hand, I also think Djokovic, I don't think, would want an American tennis player as his coach. Uh, this is a guy who's grown up um, in a different kind of culture, and, a, and I think his playing style is very European. Um, I just don't see an American coach doing well with him. Um, I, I still think it's going to be a former European player. I'm not sure who that is. <laughs> um if we go back, I think Matt Lander would be one of the players that, that I would mm. expect as a super coach. He's the one guy who I have, uh, haven't have seen being snapped up by anyone yet. Uh, we know Lander has very strong opinions, uh, you know, on, on various things, uh, aspects of tennis. Uh, he might be an ideal coach for Djokovic at this point in time, uh, from the way I see it, uh, because he went through a similar slump. And he never came back from it, but he knows exactly what Djokovic is going through at this point in time. Hmm. Okay, another interesting point that's been coming up is, uh, you know, we may be talking more, but let's talk, uh, let's get a heads up on this uh, topic. Right now, Rafael Nadal is uh, tied with your uh, former favorite uh, and your rival, Pete Sampras, at 14 slams. And I know in this era, with the recency effect and, you know, like uh, everybody's so complete and the game's homogenized, but everyone is winning, you know, please going deep and being more consistent. So people have kind of forgotten what Pete Sampras was. So in your mind, if Nadal wins his 10th French Open and eclipses Sampras, in your mind, is he a better player than Sampras? I think I think the answer is pretty straightforward. Uh, this is almost, in my mind, um, asking if Tom, Th- Thomas Muster is a better player than Andre Agassi. Um, Ooh. I, I could... <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, I'm, being dis- I'm being disrespectful to Rafa, but... Uh, we're talking in Santos of a guy who who was dominant, who was who ended six years as number one, um, which Rafa has never done, and and we're talking about a guy who who played multiple slams really well. Uh, Rafa, at the end of the day, I feel like winning another French Open will not help 
enhance his legacy. If anything, it will help diminish his legacy. I know it sounds counterintuitive, but when you've got 10 out of 15 slams in one place, you start to wonder if he was that good at all at the, all the other slams. Because he was, the, the 10 slams shows Rafa is playing at a, at a very, at his, one of his highest levels, but yet he's not winning at the other slams in those 10 years. So Yeah, but me, then that can be held against Federer and Sampras. You know, they're winning so much at Wimbledon, you know, with seven slam each. Uh, but I think you do make a two, great point about number one ranking. Win, yeah, and Federer has won other, the other two slams too, uh, five or six times. So, you know, there's there's a lot to say for that. Federer also made five French Open finals. Let's not forget that. Um, mm. So, um, you know, I mean, I, if not for Rafa, we know Federer would have been the best play court player of this era. Um, but so then how do we I, defend uh, Pete Sampras' uh, dismal record uh, after, you know, reaching the, his only French Open semi? He didn't even make the second I, I think I think we can agree it was a different era in terms of how players focused on certain surfaces and played them well. Um, Sampras, I think French Open was arguably the least, you know, uh, maybe the least regarded slam uh, during the Sampras era. Um, this was big boy tennis happening on on the show courts, and and we had our usual winners in in the French Open. We had Andres Gomez all the way to Alberto Costa, uh, Gaston Gaudio. I mean, so we're talking of very unusual uh, winners at this one Slam. Um, it was a different era, and I, I I feel unlike now where I think Rafa is the one. I think you wrote this in an article. Rafa is the one who actually made play a legit surface. Um, I mean, it was a legit surface at one point, but I think he, he pulled it out of an abyss. Um, so I'll give Rafa credit for that, but let's not go start comparing him to Pete Sampras just because he's got 15 slams because we know where 10 of those came from. Okay, maybe this is a topic, you know, when Nadal, you know, celebrates, if he celebrates the 10th win, maybe we can revisit and, uh, maybe, you know, you can get some more hate mail. Good thing you're not on Twitter. Well, what you said about Nadal. Would be you know you'll be a haunted you know a hundred well, man. I, you know? <laughs> I, I mean I, I I don't hesitate to say Nadal is the greatest player in history, uh, but only on play. Okay, uh, before I let you go, I think uh, you've been missing in action, but you have a good uh, story about Novak Djokovic. You ran into someone if you want to share with the audience. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I do want to share share this, and uh, maybe I don't know if I'm invading certain laws of privacy here, but uh, I was at a Thai restaurant in Detroit. Um, and the guy who was um, uh, at the restaurant serving us, he happens to be from Serbia. And uh, so I just started chatting up with him and I said, hey, do you know Novak Djokovic? And he's like, of course I do. I know him personally. And I thought he was kidding me. <laughs> and then he pulls, he pulls out his phone and he, uh, he starts showing me pictures of him with Djokovic. And so happens he hangs out with Djokovic whenever uh, Djokovic comes, uh, you know, around to the Midwest. Uh, so he was showing me pictures of them hanging out in Chicago. And I was like, this guy is going to soon become one of my best friends. I'm going back and eating Thai food there every single time. Sure, uh, just record a session with him, you know, like get some more insight because uh, I think we can definitely, we probably have some Djokovic fans or probably a lot of Djokovic fans. And anything we can do to make, you know, a personal connection and just share something. Oh, nice. wouldn't it be great to get Djokovic on our podcast talking about? Right, now, now, now we are going way too far <laughs> ahead. I think yeah, we are still fanboys, and you know, like uh, anyway, yeah, we, we'll try. I mean, that'll be the day if Djokovic, if we can even get a sniff of Djokovic on a you know on a show like this. So yeah, I mean, there's plenty to talk, and uh, uh, we can we can do another session. But yeah, thanks for doing this. I know you are busy driving from work late night. 
So yeah. on my way home, uh, Sakib, and you know, I know you're going to be speaking with Johan Creek. Uh, I can't wait to hear what he's got to say about this whole thing. Uh, but uh, waiting to uh, again join forces with you and come up with another whole new episode of uh, Tennis with an Accent. Okay, thanks. Let's uh, do this again. Bye. Have a good one.